So we're very pleased to have with us today Christina Roth. She graduated from the University of Massachusetts uh, in psychology, and she has a very interesting clinical and research and community outreach interest, which is in type 1 diabetes, uh, especially in kids or young adults who are away at college. And this is something that the clinicians and the research, the clinical research group here struggles with quite a lot, as do their families, as do the young adults um, who are themselves taking their diabetes to college. Uh, Christina founded the College Diabetes Network. She'll tell you more about her personal journey and how she got interested in this. Uh, for her work with the College Diabetes Network, which is an amazing idea, she received the Bateman Family Memorial Scholarship, a 21st Century Leader Award, the Class of 1941 Humanitarian Award, a Governor's Award, and graduated in 2011 very recently, she's worked as a research assistant at the Joslin. She transitioned to run the CDN uh, full-time in 2012, is the chief executive officer, and spends her time also uh, working with the Type 1 Diabetes Exchange, which is where I met her, although through uh, our outreach efforts, we were aware of her work. And so she's uh, interfacing with the Helmsley um, Trust and the Type 1 Diabetes Exchange. And today she's going to talk to us about the College Diabetes Network assessing the unique needs of the young adult population with Type 1 diabetes. Christina, welcome. Thank you all so much for having me here today. Um, I'm really excited to talk with all of you, and I hope that this is helpful. Um, so uh, I'm the CEO and founder of the College Diabetes Network, um, and I'm actually really excited to be here on today in particular. Um, nine years ago today, I was actually diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So it really is an honor to, to be able to talk with all of you today, um, especially after Dr. Golan brought me around this amazing facility, and um, it's just amazing to see what's come. Um, so, it's a little nifty thing, okay. So as far as disclosures, I don't have any personally, but the College Diabetes Network has received funding um, from some commercial companies, including the Renortis, Co-Pitch Designs, and Edge Park Medical Supplies. Um, so the objectives for today's talk is I would like to help you gain a better, uh, sorry, better understanding of CDN's mission and our programs, um, as well as help you to better support your young adult patients through awareness of the available resources, um, as well as gain a better understanding of the barriers associated with managing diabetes while they're in college. Um, and actually, as I was thinking about what to talk about today and all of the research available on the young adult population, I've done quite a bit um, of background research, and there were just so many things to go over. Um, I'd actually looked at some of the previous talks that were done here, and back in October, I saw that Kate Garvey had come and presented on transitioning from pediatric to adult clinical care. So I think that that set an amazing stage for us to come in, because in her talk, she identifies 
her research is really targeting 24 up to 27 year olds and their transition retrospectively, but that the 18 to 23 year olds were just a hard population to look at that more should be done on them, but that there really wasn't anywhere to go with that. Um, so what we're gonna talk about today is that CDN really, we target that population and there isn't a lot of research done on them. So we want to expand the research that is able to be done on this population, but also help to apply it and actually create change in these individuals' lives. Um, so the College Diabetes Network is a nonprofit organization, um, and we work to empower and improve the lives of students living with type one through peer support and access to information and resources. Um, I guess I'll, I'll talk a little bit about my own personal story here as far as how CDN was founded. Um, I had started CDN back in 2009. I was a junior at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, and at that point I'd had diabetes for several years throughout high school, and was one of those individuals that just didn't want it. I didn't want to pay attention to it. So when I was in college and really able, able to, to feel the effect of controlling my blood sugars and how much more productive I could be, I didn't want to go back to that. So I really wanted to stay connected with the community and be able to manage my diabetes better. But when I went to reach out, there were no resources available and no way to get in touch with anyone. So I happened to meet a nurse practitioner on our campus. She, had, she was seeing most of the, the students with diabetes on campus, and she was saying that they all felt the same way, but were completely alone with it. So we're like, let's get together. Let's just sit and talk. This will be great. So we reserved a room for about an hour and a half, and we all stayed for over three. And at the end of that meeting, it was we all felt so empowered and so incredible that we, we said, we need to keep doing this. This is amazing. This is what's been missing. So we met regularly, and we wanted to get word out to other students about what we were doing. We wanted them to have the same feeling. And when we went to do that, we were really surprised that the administration of the school actually created a lot of barriers. Um, understandably, they were, they were concerned about HIPAA. They didn't want anybody's privacy uh, encroached upon. Um, so it was really frustrating. It took several months to even get word out. Um, so to address that, I created a website, the horrible, simple website. But it was somewhere to send students to. And from there, they could contact us. But because I'd done that, other students at other schools started seeing what we were doing. And I started getting emails and phone calls. And they wanted to be added to the site. Or they wanted to start a group at their school, and they wanted to know how to do it. So we started adding to that. Um, and that snowballed into us saying, OK, this is something that's needed. I'm going to apply for 501c3 status. We need to be a nonprofit to do this and provide any, any real traction for these students. So we got our 501c3 status in 2010. And at the time, I was a full-time student. So I just kind of ran it on the side of being a student. Like, this is awesome. We'll help whoever we can. Um, and then after graduating, I was working full-time at Joslin and running this on the side and, and starting to attend conferences in the community. And as I was meeting other organizations, um, it became really apparent just how necessary this was and how supported it was in the community. And I was floored by how supportive everyone was as far as me getting this off the ground. And my idea of somebody taking this over and expanding this organization into what it could be were kind of shattered. Um, I, was, I sat down um, with actually the founder of Insulin Dependence and he was like, so what are your plans? I'm like, well, 
it's an amazing opportunity. There are amazing things that this organization can do. I'm going to go off and do research. <laughs> and he's like, that's not going to happen. If you want this organization to take off, you're going to have to do it. There's no way around it. So at that point, um, came to that realization and really wanted this organization to succeed. So that became um, my mission. So in 2012, um, I actually quit my job. And actually, my program director, Joe Treitman, quit hers as well. And we became full-time volunteers as CDN. We didn't have any funding at that point. Um, so it was a scary time, but a few months later, we did receive uh, some funding. And of course, that's always a struggle, as everybody knows. Um, but it's, it's really allowed us to come from a, a grassroots student group, run on online marketing and, and little on-the-side projects to being a full-time organization where we can dedicate all of our time and resources to supporting this population and really identifying further gaps that we can help to address. Um, and as I go through this, please feel free to ask questions. Um, I'm more than happy to answer, and then we'll talk quite a bit at the end. Um, so before we get into a little bit more about CDN's programs, I do want to talk about the college population with type 1 diabetes in general. And probably a lot of you have experience with your own patients, so this won't be any surprise, but some statistics that we found particularly salient that supported what we were doing um, were that at any given time there's approximately 30,800 college students with type 1 diabetes in the U.S. alone. Um, every year there's 7,700 new freshmen entering institutes of higher learning. Um, and we've extended into Canada, so we're even far beyond what those numbers are. Um, and the majority of college students with diabetes don't actually leave home when it's time to go to college. And we've heard from a lot of parents and students that because there's a CDN at the school they're looking to across the country, they're okay going there. Um, so that's been incredible to hear because otherwise they're limited by their diabetes and that's the last thing that we want to happen. So um, that's basically 10% of all diabetes patients in the U.S. are in college. That's what yes. Essentially, and that is um, that is the only statistic that we have been able to find around those numbers. So it, there is definitely a need for further research on it, so we can be much more specific with these numbers. Um, another study also found that 71% of college student participants with diabetes reported having difficulty managing their diabetes while at school, and that of course comes as no surprise. But it's a particularly um, and not shocking, but it's, it's a statistic, it's a big number, um, and especially for uh, something that there's not a lot of resources on. Um, there was actually also a recent article uh, published about the dropout rates, um, and it was, what stood out to us is that in it, it was saying that the dropout rates of students with diabetes far exceeded that of any minority, um, even combined. So that was shocking because we actually understand the minority, minority dropout rate, and to have diabetes exceed it um, was definitely concerning. What means having difficulty? What, how, do you, how do you define having difficulty? Um, personally or this study? Well, how do you come up with this number? That was from a study that was done. Um, and I'm more than happy to send citations as well from um, any of the papers that we got. What, what does it mean in practical terms? Um, what, what happened to those people that is using the application? It was just a self-report. 
Um, but in a few minutes, we will go over some of the things that, that cause that difficulty. Um, so that's, that's right about now. <laughs> so with college, there comes, of course, a number of circumstances that affect diabetes um, in just tangential ways. And then, of course, there's diabetes, which brings its own set of circumstances at this time. So just to go through a few, um, the college, of course, there's no routine. It's unpredictable. You're staying up late sometimes and sleeping half the day on others. And of course, routine is kind of the backbone of diabetes, so that makes it extremely difficult right off the top. Um, stress, hormone levels, hugely affected. Um, it's a time some students are familiar with alcohol, but of course now it's very readily available, and then others have never experimented with alcohol, and it's such a dangerous situation if they haven't and don't know about it. Um, never mind drugs. And then um, when students are in high school, they have stable friends and relationships. Even if they're not necessarily comfortable talking about diabetes, they have these relationships to fall back on. And when they enter college, most students are coming in without a system in place. So it's the first time that they might not be able to even say a word about their diabetes to their new friends. And they don't even have their parents that are fall back on too. So it's extremely isolating. Um, and of course, social pressures. Uh, drinking, even just at the dining commons. It might not be something that's said, but if everybody else is eating something, they have that social pressure to eat it as well. Um, and they don't want to necessarily feel different. Um, so of course, that brings you to just wanting to be normal. A lot of college students leave their diabetes at home when they go to college. <laughs> they just want to be a college student. They don't want to have to worry about diabetes on top of that. Um, and you hear about college is the best time of your lives they don't want that taken away because of diabetes. And for some, that means not paying attention to it. Um, of course, food options, the dining halls in general, there's just no control over what's available. And then it's self-control from that point on. And, and that's hard for anyone. Um, desire for spontaneity. Everything needs, in theory, everything needs to be planned to be successful with diabetes. So being spontaneous is incredibly difficult. Um, financial concerns, um, whether they're on their parents' insurance plans or the school plans, a lot of technologies won't necessarily be covered. They might be counting strips as far as how they can afford them, working extra jobs on the side. It's, it's a huge concern at this time. Um, as well as just the, the psychological side of forming their identity at this time and who they are and where diabetes fits in that, um, as particularly as they're planning their future, these questions start to come up more and more. Um, and then as they're moving through their college years, it's not the same. It's not just college as one word. It's college is broken down into to their times there. So they might enter freshman year binge drinking and not wanting to talk about diabetes, and they might two years later need that connection. Um, so throughout their years, their needs change and their um, acceptance of the disease and their awareness of it also change. And then, of course, on the diabetes end, what most of you are very familiar with, of course, is the transition of care. And that in itself, I mean, Kate already did a, a huge lecture on it, but there's so many things needed just there. Um, transition to independent management um, away from their parents. We talk with a lot of high school seniors that their parents are still checking them at 3 in the morning, and it, it doesn't really go well with them leaving right to college. Um, 
Of course, the increased responsibility, less parental involvement. Um, and one thing that a lot of our students find extremely difficult is registering with less disability services on campus. And most either don't or just refuse to. Um, so by doing that, they're setting up what in high school they had as a 504 plan. But in college, if you don't set it up beforehand, there's nothing to fall back on. And a lot of schools will hold them to that. And many students actually transfer or leave schools because of that, um, which is just should never happen. Um, and they have to own the responsibility of informing professors. And at this time, with everything else going on on the college end, they might not be ready to be the first ones to bring that up, particularly to a professor. Um, and then the campus community in general has a pathetic amount of resources available to this population. Um, so addressing these barriers. So in this, we're going to particularly focus on peer support, because of course there's many ways to address um, a lot of these issues. But as far as peer support and um, along those sides uh, have found, is that supportive group settings in which information experiences can be shared um, are particularly beneficial to this population. And that peers can be an important source of support in the absence of particularly parental support systems. And that this population has expressed a distinct interest in meeting other students with diabetes but that have found that the opportunity and that interaction usually doesn't present itself. Um, and we've actually heard from many students that they might have had several friends in their, in their group for the past few years, and then they're sitting in a dining commons, and they see one of their friends take a shot. And it's the first time that they ever realized that that person had diabetes too. And then they start talking and are able to connect. And that's a really common story, which is... So sad. Um, so what we're looking to do is really facilitate that interaction and make that possible far before that time. Um, and also, most young adults want to engage in good management practices. But due to situational factors, they, they can't, or they're kept from it um, in a variety of ways. So intention isn't enough. There has to be some sort of system in place to support that. Um, so. There are a lot of limitations to any past interventions or attempts to help this population. Um, lack of follow-up, um, just in general, things get busy, life gets busy, and, and clinicians or even groups don't have time to, to go out and, and hunt people down. <laughs> um, lack of resources in general for the population and the accessibility to those resources just isn't there. Um, sustainability of support groups. If clinics are able to hold these groups but then grant funding runs out or a fellow moves on, those groups go away. Um, accessibility. A lot of students aren't lucky enough to be in areas where those groups are being held by clinics. Um, so that's a huge issue. And these groups are very tend to be very small and it only serves a very small population of this very large, like you said, about one-tenth of the, the type 1 population. Um, so of course, there's just more research needed in general on these peer and support interventions. So to get into CDN, um, we were really built to address these limitations. Um, we, our model helps to try to um, address the sustainability issue, the getting word out issue, 
Um, and then just, of course, the students' motivation as well. Um, so we have campus chapters, which provide in-person peer support, um, as well as advocacy on campus, and just help to empower the student. And then on the other side, we have information through our website. So it's for students, chapters, and parents. Um, and we'll get into both sides of this model um, in a minute. Oops, sorry. Um, so chapters, what are they? <laughs> they're networks on campus, um, and they're peer-based, and they're peer-run. We help to provide the support and the infrastructure to get them going and keep them going, but they are run by their students. Our student leaders are why these groups exist and why they continue. And we think that that's really important because it's great to have somebody tell them what they should be doing, and what other people have found, it's completely different to hear it from a peer and be able to compare experiences. Um, so at the very least, our chapters are able to provide a safety net of people to call on campus, um, something that there wasn't before. If a pump breaks, there's an extra one somewhere. If their insulin freezes, it's right there too. Um, so it can solve a lot of problems that end up sending people to the hospital or cause major issues. Um, it's a way to meet other students who are juggling school and diabetes. So we were talking about that, um, that the interaction, it's very hard to have that available. This helps to facilitate that interaction and those introductions. Um, it's also a place to share tips and get acquainted with local resources. Students might be hours and hours away from their endocrinologist and there might be an amazing one right in the area. Um, so they're able to find this out by talking with other students that have been there. It's also an amazing chance to take a leadership role. So we have some students that just want to be involved in a chapter, but then we have others that really step up and are incredible student leaders um, that are providing a group for years to come, but are also building their own career experience as well. So we've actually set up a student advisory committee, not only for ourselves, but to help them with their own professional and career experience and really take advantage of their amazing motivation and passion for what they're doing. Um, and through that, we'll be working with our lot, a lot of our programs, reaching out to other students, um, and really setting up that, that backbone of peer support um, right from the core. It's also the chapters provide an opportunity for community outreach. We have some uh, groups that are very much into awareness on campus in general, type one, type two, they have 150 people on their mailing list, and that's what they want to do. We have others that are starting mentor programs, reaching out into the community and matching up role model students with kids that are really struggling, um, as well as, of course, participating in walks and fundraising um, and all of those available opportunities. It's also an amazing way to access the latest diabetes technology and information. Um, we really encourage our student leaders to host these product demo nights, we call them. And they get together representatives from all of these pump and CGM and technology companies, get them all in one room at one time, and let everybody compare what's available and what works best for them. And my favorite, of course, very personal story around that is that the product demo night that we held back when I was at UMass was a time when a handful of the students hadn't even heard of a CGM. They didn't know that it was available. Um, so being able to get in one room with all of these technologies, every single person went on a new technology that night, which was incredible, every single person. <laughs> um, so having access to that and the information around those is something that actually isn't that common unless you're in a facility like this. I'm curious, what are the 
with either those events or just in general have a chance to interface with student health, because I think often we find that there's a need for more awareness with the medical personnel on campus, as well as maybe the endocrinologists in the area. Absolutely, and that's actually a huge, huge issue. And as I'll talk about in just a second, the levels that students progress as they build their chapter, and in the, the middle level, we really advocate that they get in touch with their medical center. They, they see what sorts of relationships they can build. And some are very open to learning and, and participating in these events, and others aren't so much. So it's on a, a, a campus by campus basis, but that's a huge way that we can help that community. Another area that you haven't talked about that I think might be a natural partnership, I always worry about the kids that don't show up. And we've done some assessments, and I know that Jocelyn has published about this. One common theme that kids this age are often quite interested in, even if it's not self-care and heaven forbid, meeting other people with diabetes, it's the research advances. And it's such a nice opportunity to partner with the researchers, either locally or nationally, to both learn about what's going on, participate in research, volunteer, and it's a huge army of potential research <laughs> subjects. Absolutely. I'm actually really glad that you mentioned that. And it, it doesn't show up here, but it's, I guess, always in the back of our mind. It was, because at the time that I started CDN, I was doing research, of course, in college on my thesis. Um, and it was, more research is needed on this population. We're actually creating a network and a community of this population. Naturally, it's an incredible way to connect with them and expand on that research. So we are extremely interested in that. We're talking with several researchers now um, and would love to um, if other ideas um, are available. So I know I'm meeting with a few um, groups within this clinic today, but more than happy to hear any ideas. Skin biopsies for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> what? We put them in touch with people. To, Sorry, go ahead. We, we put students in touch with researchers in the area so that they can have a, a speaker. Yeah, actually, that's a great idea. So a lot of our students do bring in guest speakers, um, either on specific topics like diet um, or just researchers in general talking about what they're doing. So it's a, a great opportunity for our students to get into the research community as well. Um, so to go through uh, the levels of chapters, so we define our uh, chapters in three different ways. They go through three levels um, of development. So the first is just interested students. So these are the students that reach out, want to get involved, might want to start a chapter, but not quite be at the point where they're ready to. Um, so we have a little over 50 um, campuses in that level right now. And then they move on to level two and they're starting to take the steps to become a chapter. They're looking for a faculty advisor, they're reaching out on campus, they're holding meetings. Um, and this is actually usually the longest step that they go through. Um, and for some students to register on campus, it might take a few months or it's taken a few, a year or two, depending on the school and how much red tape there is involved. Um, so yeah, each school is very different with that. And we have about 24 um, in progress right now, but they're pretty solid chapters, and that's when we start defining them as a chapter. And then level three is where they become a registered student group. So through becoming registered on campus, they have access to support materials from advisors, 
they have financial support. Um, it really creates an infrastructure to allow the group to be sustainable for years to come and easily for somebody to take up the reins. Um, so that is our ultimate goal when we're moving through these steps. And then we support them once they're there as well, as far as maintenance. I know it's okay to interrupt. Please, no, please. Another really important aspect to this is support for the parents. Yeah. And it's a four-year period, and I'm now worried about, we have them too, the parents who are checking those kids at three in the morning when the kid goes across the country. But there are other parents on the web in your portal maybe that have been doing that. They could be detoxed together. Absolutely, and we'll get into that in a minute because that's a huge part of um, where we're expecting future expansion. All right. So how do we actually support our chapters? What do we actually <coughs> give these students? Because um, they're creating these groups organically. It's not an idea that we're giving them necessarily. So what do we actually do? Um, we provide the infrastructure and the support to create these groups, keep them going, um, and just make it as easy as possible. So we create a web page that we host on our website for each of our chapters. And on there, they have meeting information, contact information, and we really um, encourage them to put just community information there too. What hospitals are nearby, what pharmacies, everything relevant to college life with diabetes. Um, we also create an email address for each of our students using our, our CDN domain name. Um, this might seem kind of redundant, but this is a great way for them to um, pass on the transition of leadership as they graduate. Um, what I found when I was doing my original research starting this is that, of course, there's amazing groups that have been created in the past, but then they end up being dead links once a student graduates. So this helps to facilitate that, that changeover, um, as well as provide a, a relatively non-personal email address to put on flyers so they're not feeling like somebody's just going to start emailing them random things. Um, and allow uh, them to uh, use the Google apps that we use to give them some information. Um, also, a huge part of what we do is provide the personal support from our program director, Joe Treitman, who's here today. Um, and she's able to help these students troubleshoot issues that they run into, guide them through the process, um, make sure that they don't feel like they're alone in creating this group, um, and also connect them with other students. So we actually find that we're contacted by several different students on the same campus and they've never met each other. So we're able to put them in touch with one another because they wouldn't be able to meet otherwise. They don't advertise that while they're on campus. But through us, they're able to connect, which is wonderful. Um, we also actually create materials, uh -huh, clearly. So we compiled a chapter toolkit, uh, which is a step-by-step -step guide on how to start, establish, and run a successful CDN chapter. And we're always adding to that. Um, we also provide templates, instructions, documents, brochures, flyers, forms, things that are time consuming and annoying to create. We at least have something for them to start with and then personalize from there. Um, and we are, we're a small organization. We weren't even funded a year ago. So the way that we provide our resources and materials is evolving as our capabilities are evolving. So right now we use Google Apps and email um, and, you know, archaic ways of getting information to students, but, you know, building online portals and ways to easily um, facilitate the management of these chapters um, down the line. 
So our website has several different parts, and if you've seen it, um, I do apologize. We're in the process of updating a lot of our content. <laughs> um, but for students, we have information and resources about all aspects of life with diabetes on campus. Um, and we make it very easily accessible. Um, a lot of our students find us through Google. Um, Google. <laughs> so we have information about scholarships, job opportunities, study abroad, nutrition, sports and exercise, advocacy and student rights, um, things that they don't ask their doctor about, alcohol, drugs, sex, all those fun things. Um, and then we also provide an online forum um, through a partner where they can connect with other students. Um, and this is one of those evolving um, pieces of CDN that we're looking to really um, ramp up so that it's easier for them. What, what's diabetes? I will actually get into diabetes in just a minute. <laughs> it's a great question. <laughs> okay, so, and this goes off of what Dr. Golan was saying. Parent information resources is a huge need with this population. And right now, the way that we are able to deal with that is we provide information and tips through our website. So care package ideas, stories from other parents, um, and of course, also the, the online portal where they can talk with one another. But there are many more ways that we can support these parents. We've had some approach us about creating a call list. We've, we've had others that say they want more information on the website. They want a way to connect with other student, uh, sorry, parents. Um, and so to that end, we've created a parent advisory committee. And we are going to be working with them very closely, particularly over the next year, to identify gaps and resources for this population, um, what sorts of ideas they would want implemented, and then help to provide some program design around those and how we can implement them over the next few years. So it is a, a very much expanding part of our organization. Um, so in addition to our chapters and online resources, we have specific programs that address gaps in resources and support. Um, so of course, the network of young adults that we create is the backbone of what we do. Um, and then chapter creation and support, we've already talked about a bit. But then because we're putting together, um, particularly these student leaders that create these groups, it's a wonderful opportunity to provide them with professional development opportunities, especially around the partners and the collaborators that we have around the medical community, the diabetes community, um, even the peer support community, um, where we can connect them and create relationships that wouldn't otherwise be possible and really be able to highlight how motivated and passionate these students are. Um, so it's been really fun to put together that program and work with students, actually. Um, uh, also, we are reaching out through school nurses, particularly the National Association of School Nurses, and a few other ways to reach students before they even get to college to help to facilitate <coughs> that transition um, and make sure that they feel supported even before they go. Um, and a very exciting program that we're more supporting at this point rather than running is a pilot mentor program being conducted out of the University of Massachusetts Amherst campus. Uh, Dr. Emma Dundon, who's a PhD in the nursing department there, has taken on type one as, as her research. And when I started CDN there, I really wanted a way to connect these role model students with kids in the area, particularly the Springfield Mass area, which was known for, for having quite a few issues. Um, 
So through her, and it's taken a while to get it up and running, but we're actually matching um, CDN students at UMass with children in the community and collecting data on that so that we can really measure the effect that it has on both the mentor and the mentee, and also be able to see how we can replicate this nationally and have support to actually do that. Um, so to get into diabetes, so diabetes um, is an iPhone application actually that we launched in November 2012. We developed it with a company out of Canada called Iogo, and it's based off of a concept that was actually started by Sigan's program director, Joe, again. Um, and she was at Wellesley College and had been alone through most of her, her college years and really struggled. And she just happened to randomly meet two other students with diabetes on campus. And they were all really struggling. So they decided to text one another their blood sugars. And if they didn't text them back, somebody would go knocking on their door and force them to test their blood sugar. <laughs> so it was a way to keep each other very accountable, but also not in a really annoying, nagging parental way. So... <laughs> So we created a social way of logging blood sugars. We wanted to take that concept a step further. All of this information, extremely valuable information, was being put into these text messages with no way to actually collect it or use it. So this application allows students to easily log all of this information, and personally it is much better than any of the other logging apps on the market because we made it that way. <laughs> um, and so through just putting these in, it's just sent to a friend. It's a conversation. It's not about the numbers. And through doing that, they just happen to have a log available, too, that they can use. So we really wanted this to be about the conversation. Um, so it's a way for peer support and social accountability to be a part of that diabetes management. Um, and so we launched it in 2012 and actually just found out yesterday from an analytics report that we have about 1,000 users so far. Um, and we actually haven't actively marketed it yet, so that's a pretty good start. Um, and we also have version two in production now, and we'll be getting user feedback as far as what other features um, we'll be wanting. Any questions around diabetes? I know it's kind of a different concept. Okay. Um, so as you've probably heard throughout most of this presentation, we're collaborating and partnering with a lot of other organizations in the medical and the diabetes community, um, and even outside of it. So one of them that we're really excited about is a collaboration with DTREAT, which is a young adult retreat um, held by DECA, the Diabetes Education and Camping Association. And CDN really uses all of its resources to support students in their everyday life and create those networks on campus. Um, and DTREAT holds retreats and intimate gatherings for these students to all get together. Um, so by working together, we're able to give them best of both worlds. And what was before a wonderful retreat for students to go on and then go home, CDM now allows them to take that with them and bring that experience back to their campus and bring that to other students that might not have been lucky enough to go on that retreat. Um, and we're particularly excited because DTREE was founded on the same fundamental ideas that CDN was uh, founded on, which is the peer-based and the peer-driven support. Um, and particularly, of course, it's, it's exciting that that's one of their um, core values. So um, I think I actually already hit all my bullet points on this slide. <laughs> um, so we actually participated in the Chicago Detreat a few months ago um, and have been in touch with most of the students after that and have 
gotten one or two pretty amazing chapters out of that as well. Um, so it was a great experience, and a lot of our students are planning to go on the next D-Troop. Um, so future programs that we're actually developing and working on right now include a, a transition night toolkit. So I know this facility hosts an incredible transition night um, or going off to college event. I'm not quite sure what it's called here. Um, so we're going to be talking with that team today, but a lot of organizations and clinics don't know how to actually go about holding this event or what resources to provide. So this toolkit will help to use interviews and um, collected best practices from successful events to give them to um, community organizations and clinics so that they can hold them and provide this experience to throughout the U.S. and, and other countries. Um, so we're particularly excited about that. And then even actually this morning, Dr. Golan was talking about at one point there had been three students from the same college that had been diagnosed in a short period of time. And we hear more and more about college diagnosis and how overwhelming that is. And we've, both Joe and I were diagnosed young and it was hard enough going through college. Um, so to be diagnosed in college without any knowledge of what's needed is just kind of unfathomable to us. So. The College Diagnosis Toolkit will help to provide those resources for those individuals, but also a brighter outlook on it so that they don't feel like their life is over when that happens. Um, and that it's not type 2. And the, Exactly, and that it's not type 2. <laughs> um, of course, common misconception that no one likes. Um, so, and then as we talked about, to further develop our parent resources is a major priority. Um, so overall, CDM's major goals um, is to empower students with type 1 diabetes through peer support and access to information, um, to provide a hub of information and resources for students and parents during the transition into young adulthood and then throughout college, um, to increase the advocacy and awareness that's available on campus, to change how young adults are treated and educated around mm -hmm. diabetes management, to ease the stress of families going through this transitional process, and also to increase the research available in the population. Um, so in addition to CDN, there are some other resources that are helpful to young adults. Um, one of them is the Diabetes Scholars Foundation, which we have available through our website as well and is an amazing partner of ours. Um, GLUE, which is the, the online community, and that's for many different age groups. Um, to diabetes.org, another online community that we work with actually to host our um, online communities. And of course, ADA and JDRF and, and organizations like DECA as well. Um, so we found uh, social media, of course, is very helpful to this population. So advocating that and making those available, um, they're all through our site, but we found that that's very helpful. Um, so another thing that we've come across um, outside of just supporting the young adults directly is that the National Diabetes Education Program does have some resources available to clinicians around um, transitioning, including a checklist, a clinical summary, um, and a resource list that can help you um, better go through this transition as well. So I, I don't know how helpful those are, but I thought I would throw it out there and see if, uh, if that would be helpful to any of you. Um, so in a minute, I'd like to, to get to any questions and, and just talk more openly, um, but please keep in touch. We would love to hear more. Um, please check out our website. We're always looking for feedback, and we'd love to know what you think. Um, please refer your patients to it. Uh, we also have an article coming out in the March 2013 AADE in Practice. 
um, so feel free to read and send along. Um, we have a newsletter that comes out once a month. Uh, we don't ping you continuously and lists aren't sold to anybody. Um, but it does have some great information about how we're developing as an organization, what some of our partners are doing. Um, so I definitely um, suggest signing up for that, but I'm slightly biased. Um, we have brochures available and we, we have them, um, we can send them as well. But please hand out to your young adult patients if you think they'd be interested and even if they're not yet. Um, and please email with comments or questions. Uh, my email is right there. And like I mentioned earlier, if you'd like a list of citations from this presentation, I'm more than happy to send those as well. Um, so that is it for now. Thank you very much. No um, are there any questions? Thank you. We have reached out to uh, quite a few of them. I'm sure there's a lot of work left to do with that. Um, we're hoping, well, we're gonna be working with some interns around some marketing strategies and we'll, we're building camps into that. Um, but it's we see that as a great way to get in touch with students before they leave and then once they're also um, working there. For diabetes, many of the Oh yeah, yep, so for diabetes, that's actually one of the main marketing strategies for that because it, fits so well with the camp experience. So for some of our young adult patients who are struggling beyond just the maybe not checking and not wanting to talk about it, but they're they're sometimes some significant psychological issues. So I'm wondering if your student leaders are who do they call if they sense that someone is in that much trouble because they're not necessarily community trained or should be responsible to handle that, but those are the kids often been in trouble for me. Absolutely, and we've actually gotten quite a few questions about that. And honestly, to be to be completely honest, there's there's nothing good enough to address that right now. Um, so that is something that we're absolutely looking to to find ways we can refer people to clinicians that we know in the area. We've worked very closely with Bill Flansky in the Behavioral Diabetes Institute, um, and any connections he happens to know. Luckily, the community is relatively small. Um, but there really isn't a great way to do that. So at some point we would like to provide information to campus psychologists around diabetes and how that affects um, their experience, but... Would they report that to their faculty advisor at least? Is there, I guess I'm curious, is there someone else that helps them? Yes, that? yeah, the faculty advisor is, is one of the reasons that that's, that's in place for that check. What, uh, you may not know the answer to this exactly, but from your contact with these kids, what percentage would you say during the course of a college career end up in some sort of semi-emergent contact with medical facility at the institution itself? Yeah, so I, I actually don't know percentages around that, and that's one of the reasons research would be so helpful, because that also gets into the economic value of supporting these students. But um, quite a few, many, many students end up in the emergency room and, and needing emergency services. And does it stratify by year? In other words, are there more of them early, late? Yeah, that I actually have no idea about. Um, so those are actually great research questions. So increasingly the morbidity in this age group is mental health related, not diabetes related. So some of the questions, is this different in our chronic illness? How about kids with other chronic illnesses? How about kids without chronic illness? Certainly seems chronic illness related. How about those with care, without care? I don't know, you know, we see a lot of teenagers. Do you have a sense, anybody here? I, I start um, talking about alcohol 
um, junior year in high school when they start junior prom. And every year about prom season, we get three or four kids. But Dr. Vargas, I only had three drinks. <laughs> you had three drinks and you guys four. So you probably had about nine drinks. Um, and so we, you know, we, I already talked to them. You know, as soon as they turn like 12, I don't let the parents in the room. They stay in the consultation room. I take the kids and we start talking yeah. early, 14, 15, you know, sometimes even earlier in some of the kids. So by the time they go to college, um, they've already heard, um, you know, we have this program taking them at least to college here. Um, That's great. And actually, I'm so glad that you brought that up because one partnership I really should have put in here, but it's relatively new, um, is we partner with Drinking with Diabetes, which is an initiative that's been started by Bennett Dunlop. I know he runs a blog and is very active in the DOC. Um, and we're working with him to provide information to parents and for students, and they're in separate portals of the website um, around alcohol <laughs> and how to talk about it. Um, and actually, just as a side note, many of you might be aware of this, but we've been putting it out on all of our social media outlets. Um, as far as a new study that just came out about a week ago, it's been all over the news, as far as mixing um, sugar-free mixers with alcohol, actually, um, does there's no buffer there, so students are getting drunker faster. Right. <laughs> just a tidbit that's highly relevant. <laughs> Um, I mean, definitely registering on campus to really create an infrastructure. Um, one of them in particular uh, runs this, uh, an amazing awareness program um, and works with their medical school. Um, another one is doing a mentor pro, several are doing mentor programs. Um, Joe, do you have anything to add to that? Um, I, one, one thing I really liked was one of our students said that at the beginning of each semester, she asked each of her teachers, if she could stand up in front of her whole entire lecture and ask anyone if they knew someone with diabetes, she then introduced herself and said, well, there you go, now you've all passed it. And let people know what's going on. Um, and so I've actually tried to share that story with a number of our other student leaders so that they can really market themselves. Um, some want to do that, some don't, but it's, it's, it's great. Jack, then. So the, the pilot program at UMass Amherst does match them. Um, the more grassroots programs are more in, uh, I think they're a lot in partnership with JDRF and local communities, so they refer families and children, um, and then students are able to, to offer their help. And, um, another one of ours is one of our chapters, we're not that involved with this particular mentor program yet, um, but they're interested in connecting with students who are having a harder time on campus um, with the ones that are having an easier time on campus. So that is such, you know, if, in general, <coughs> if the clinician says to the patient who's struggling, would you like to meet other students with diabetes, the... Oh, yeah, <laughs> this is the group that really doesn't want to meet those students. Yeah. I was wondering how often you're in a position where the parents are like, go to go. Yeah. And they've, they've talked to the kid on, you know, the kid on the campus with the chapter, their child wants nothing to do with it. Yeah, and that's... It's extremely common, actually. <laughs> we hear from a lot of parents that are very excited, and they're yeah. like, whatever, I'm leaving. <laughs> um, so, 
in Google and find us. Yeah. So yeah, we found it's it's more helpful to be kind of self-initiated, and they have to be at that level of acceptance to really be open to working with each other. But which is why we really advocate at the very least, it's a person to call. So if they have one phone number, we're happy. They're they're safer than they were before. Um, and we have a lot of people that you know transition from that stage up, but to start at least there. Christina, thank you very much. Thank you. Very much.